James chapter 1. You're turning with me, if you would, to James chapter 1. Some have been asking uh, when we were getting into James, and uh, I'm glad that they've uh, been paying attention uh, and asking. Uh, but somehow it feels like they've been going, come on, man. You said you was going to get into James, now do your job. And that's only because it's, I just know Joel's tone. I just know how he is. Uh, but others of you have been asking. And uh, so we are getting into James this morning. Uh, I've been uh, in 2020. Excuse me. In 2020, uh, we covered a book a month. And usually what that turned into was a chapter a week or a chapter a sermon. Uh, we will not cover James uh, that quickly here in 2021. We did cover it uh, at the end of, of last year. And I see all familiar faces, so you were with us on that. And I hope that that was beneficial to you. I hope you did the reading uh, to keep up with that. Uh, and so you should be familiar with the big picture uh, of James to a large degree, uh, but we will go through significantly slower uh, and in greater detail. I, I described on several occasions last year that uh, my goal, my desire was to take you to a book of the Bible and to uh, kind of rake the leaves away and tell you to dig here or tell you to dig there, uh, and I hope that you did that. Uh, but uh, as we go through this time, uh, we're going to do a lot more digging. We're going to do a lot more digging, and uh, so that's that's my goal. This morning, uh, you see the title there, at least I hope you do. Good, you do. That's fantastic. Uh, you see the title there. I want us to meet the author. Uh, I want us to meet James this morning, and uh, I think you'll find uh, find him to be an, a very interesting, uh, have an interesting story and background, uh, and so I hope it will shine a, a new light uh, on on the on the book uh, and help us uh, make make application from the book. Uh, so let's read uh, this morning James one verse one. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are thankful for your word. Uh, God, we are uh, amazed. Uh, God, that we can. Uh, read through your word and, and uh, God, thoughts and understandings and, and applications, Lord, that uh, we didn't see the last time we read. Uh, God, pop up on us through the uh, enlightening of the Holy Spirit, uh, God, in new ways each time we open up your word, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would uh, direct our thoughts, uh, God, that we would uh, come into this book of wisdom, this book of, of commands, uh, God, with a good understanding, uh, Lord, of how much of your heart is revealed uh, through the knowledge of your word and how much your uh, desires for us are revealed, uh, Lord, in, in the most practical ways uh, from this book. God, I pray that uh, each individual, God, as we uh, collect here together and uh, Lord, I see familiar faces, and uh, God, expectation to see these faces throughout the course of, of studying and reading this book. Uh, God, as we walk away this morning, Lord, before entering into uh, anything else, God, that we would walk away, uh, God, having bowed our knees as bondservants to you. 
Uh, Lord, walking away this morning with the recognition, the understanding, and even the, the joyful expectation, uh, God, of never saying no uh, to your commandments. Uh, God, and always, by faith in you and your goodness towards us, faith in you and your uh, power over our circumstances and lives, God, that we would be obedient, um, profitable servants for you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. As I said, I want us to meet uh, James this morning. Uh, James, the writer, you may ask, who is this James? And I shared with you a couple of months ago that this is James, the brother of Christ. But I want to kind of uh, lay that out for you a little bit uh, better this morning. It is commonly accepted that this is James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, but if you want to go with me into Acts, you can see why. Uh, Acts chapter 12 uh, is uh, the first uh, introduction we have to James. And I noted Acts chapter 12 verse 2. Uh, if you want to go there first, uh, you'll see that is the martyring of James the brother of John. Uh, so there's about five Jameses that are mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, the most widely known one would be James the brother of John or James uh, the sons of thunder. Uh, as Jesus described them. Uh, well, here in Acts 12, verse 2, that James is being beheaded. Uh, that James is martyred uh, and, and no longer uh, here on earth with us. And then in, later in the chapter, in the same chapter, uh, in verse 17, uh, you see, uh, it says, But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So here Peter, in that famous story, has been released from prison where they prayed for him. He's released from prison. Uh, he comes back and he wants them to let James know. Uh, so who is this James that he wants uh, to let know? Go over to Acts 15 in verse 13. This here is the Jerusalem council. Uh, so we've moved from Peter, go let James know that I'm out of prison. Go let James know what has happened. Uh, and now over in chapter 15, we have Paul uh, coming here to Jerusalem. And we have the Jerusalem council. This is a very interesting book. If you ever want to get into uh, researching and understanding why we don't live by the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. Uh, here's your proof for that pudding uh, here in Acts chapter 15. Uh, but verse 13, uh, in, this, uh, in this consult, it says, After they became silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. So here's a James that is sitting in Jerusalem over the council there. Uh, and, and so uh, we're being introduced to uh, this James. As I put in the notes here, there's a... A James that is in a leadership position in Jerusalem. He is involved in the ministries of both Peter and Paul, giving answer to Paul in his journey to Jerusalem after the death of James, the brother of John. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul here is describing... His, you remember we went through Galatians last year. Paul is defending, right? Basically, he's defending his message. He's defending his authority. He's defending his apostleship. 
And he talks about how he did not receive his, uh, his uh, message. He did not receive, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? His commissioning uh, from men, but he received it from God. But then after several years, he does go back to Jerusalem, which is what we just looked at. And he says in verse 19, I saw none other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. So Paul here refers to James, the Lord's brother. If you go to Matthew 13, 55, uh, and, and I know we're, we're bouncing all over the place here this morning. If you, if you want to flip, flip. If you want to write, write. Uh, but uh, I'll give it to you here. Uh, them, those in Nazareth speaking of Jesus, okay? Those in Nazareth speaking of Jesus, they said, Is this not the carpenter's son? They're rejecting him because they knew him too well. As Jesus said, a prophet is not received in his own country. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So there is named four brothers of Jesus along with sisters. And James there is named. So uh, looking at Galatians 1.19, looking at Matthew Chapter 13 and verse 55, Jesus absolutely had brothers and sisters and absolutely had a brother named James. When he calls him in Galatians 1, 19, James the Lord's brother, he's not speaking in general terms like we are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? He is denoting this is that certain James. And that fits along with uh, what those in Nazareth had to say about Christ as they look and say, he's got uh, four more brothers. Uh, as uh, kind of a side note, it is interesting that Jesus did have uh, at, least, uh, at least six, it says, and his sisters, plural, uh, so at least six younger siblings, uh, right? So the Virgin Mary, who gave birth to Christ, uh, did not remain a virgin, but had other children by Joseph. These would be half-brothers, uh, of Jesus, uh, and so uh, Jesus uh, kind of give you a picture of Jesus and James's family, and this James also uh, is referred to only as James, uh, while the other Jameses in the New Testament are always identified either with his brother, as in James and John, or uh, by father or mother, uh, James son of Alphaeus, and the other Jameses. Uh, here, this James has just left James. Uh, and so it all adds up uh, to this being the brother of Christ. Uh, and I hope that that doesn't just, okay, well, that was a nice little study and that was kind of useless. I hope that doesn't uh, kind of fall on ears in that way because we're going to look at what James probably saw and learned uh, from Jesus. So uh, it is of note, by the way, Judas, another brother of Jesus, similarly wrote a book of the New Testament uh, noting himself to be the bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Uh, so as a side note there, Jesus' other brother, Judas, wrote the book that we call Jude, noting himself to be, as James says here in James 1.1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. James. So uh, it's kind of interesting, Jesus had two brothers. Uh, that wrote books of the New Testament. What is more interesting to note, Jesus' two brothers, uh, neither of these brothers believed in Jesus as the Messiah 
during his lifetime. If you go to John 7, 5, uh, you see, uh, very simply put, even his brothers did not believe in him. Imagine, think about that, and we're, we're going to kind of look at the life of James here in just a little bit, but Jesus' own brothers uh, did not believe in him. Uh, neither one of these, these writers, James nor Judas, uh, believed in Jesus, uh, but here we have them writing New Testament books. Uh, what happened? What changed for them not to believe in him, right? To calling themselves their, uh, calling themselves bondservants of him, declaring his deity as they call him the Lord Jesus Christ. What changed? Again, I know I'm flipping fast, but uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7. These are the appearances of Christ. The appearances of Jesus post-resurrection. So after his death and resurrection, those that he met with and those that uh, he, he talked with. And verse 7 says, after that, he was seen by James... And then all the apostles. There was a particular, singular meeting that Jesus had with his brother James that we can only assume was the transforming day in James's life. Can you imagine that? To have been raised next to Jesus, to have observed Jesus through his entire life, to have been taught in the synagogue with him, to see how he lived growing up, his younger brother, probably just by a few years, probably not by many years at all, watching him grow up, going through the ministry, observing the ministry, not believing in him, watching his death, hearing the news of his disappearing body, and the stirring of the disciples, and then here he appears to him. You can't begin to imagine what that was probably like. That comes from James, or excuse me, from 1 Corinthians 15, 7. A personal appearance from Jesus after his resurrection. James absolutely, think about this and apply this to the book. James absolutely would have heard much of the teaching of Jesus, observed his life and death, and it shows in his teaching. It shows in his teaching. So I want us to look kind of broadly at the book, uh, James's uh, book here, and notice Jesus's influence on James's teaching. And we noted this quickly. Uh, when we started the book of James a couple of months ago, but I want you to notice the influence that Jesus had on James's teaching, first of all, in style. First of all, in James's style of teaching. James, like Jesus, regularly uses illustrations to create a picture to help his listener both understand and remember his teaching. Jesus regularly used picture. Jesus regularly used illustrations or parables in order to, if for those that understood and grasped the parables, I get the, the double-edged sword of the parables there, but for those that understood and grasped and the illustrations that he used were colorful and vibrant to help portray a message, right, to help us understand, but also to help us remember. It's good to help us understand and good to help us remember. And James picks up on that. Uh, I realize I haven't given you that note yet. 
uh, I'm having a little bit of trouble here. Uh, we did good for so long, and now she doesn't want to... There we go. There's yours, and there's the next one. Uh, they both use... This is some similarities I found here. They both use the image of a flower. They both use the image of a woman in labor. They both use the image of a nobleman in the church. They both use the imagery of water, of fig trees, adultery, and not in the strictest sense of adultery, but as an analogy to our relationship with God. They both use uh, the imagery of a courtroom, they both use the imagery of decaying treasure, and of course, they both refer to the prophets. And I believe James, seeing this in the teaching of Jesus, grabs onto these things in his style and in his, in his delivery. Uh, he remembers the illustrations that Jesus made that he heard from uh, the mouth of Jesus. James is well known for noting God's word to be like a mirror, uh, he is well known for the statement uh, in the chapter 2, which teaches us that faith without works is like a spirit without a body and therefore dead, and that the tongue is like a bridle or a rudder and a fire. So the pictures and the images that James uses are very well known. Uh, they're very well known to us in the church. So Jesus' influence on James's teaching in style, but also in material, also in material, uh, all of James can be considered an expository of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, James broadly covers three topics. Uh, he covers testing, he covers wise speech, and he covers generosity. And he lays all that out here in the first chapter. And again, I'm speaking broadly, generally. Uh, depending upon uh, whose words you want to take, uh, and I don't have one because I didn't walk through and count them, uh, but somewhere between 50 and 60 commands are given in the book of James. Between 50 and 60 commands are given in the book of James. But on a, on a broad, more general level, uh, you can break, break his teaching down into those three topics. Uh, for sake of time, I'm not going to, to, to tackle all of these this morning. Uh, but James 2 and Matthew 5, 3, uh, if you want to write those down and seek those out, James 2, 5 and Matthew 5, 3 uh, are very similar verses. Again, this is all pulling from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but both of those teach us those who do not seek the world's riches will inherit God's riches. So on James' teaching on riches that parallels with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus saying, blessed uh, are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. I believe James gives it an expository on that, that Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who don't have a lot of money. That's not what he's saying. Uh, he is saying, blessed are those who don't seek after, who don't make it their life aim, who don't make it their career aim, who don't make it their family aim, don't make it their personal aim to obtain riches. Because if we don't seek after the riches of the world, then we, we assume, blessed are those who seek after the riches of Christ, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And James lays that out uh, in more detail. James 3, verses 10 through 12, uh, and comparing those verses with Matthew 5, 9, and Matthew 7, 15 through 20, our words are compared to the fruit of a tree, and using them to make peace is godly. James and Jesus both use our words and compare them to fruit of a tree. 
right? We all know that, we understand that. What, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our words are the fruit of what is in us. And James and Jesus both use the picture of the fig tree uh, to compare that fruit, to give us an analogy of that fruit, a picture of that fruit. And they both talk about using our words towards peace instead of towards division, towards unity uh, instead of towards destruction, uh, and, and how the, the blessings of come from that and how that is godly practice. Then James 5, 2 uh, through James 5, 2 through 3 and verse 12, in a comparison with Matthew 5, 33 through 37, and Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Again, I hope you're writing these down. Uh, you know, we can never dig deep enough, by the way. I'd just be on James this morning uh, if, we, if we went that route. Uh, but they both teach earthly riches corrode. Earthly riches corrode. Right? They both talk about the earthly riches that fade and decay and that go away. And they both speak about how riches are not worth our character. Our riches are not worth our character, are not worth our relationship with God, are not worth our testimony. Uh, Do not exchange the world's riches that fade away for, or do not exchange, excuse me, the eternal riches of Christ that never fade away for the world's riches that absolutely fade away. And not just will one day fade away, but we, we see it fade away, don't we? We, we recognize that the things uh, that we once coveted uh, now hold no value to us. The things that we once thought that will complete uh, us and make us happy uh, now have long faded away and are no longer, uh, no longer even in our lives. But I want us to look uh, lastly at James's example. James's example. So we've kind of taken time to prove who we're talking about, and I think that's terribly important. I, don't, I hope that you wouldn't want me to go on a tangent about James, the brother of Jesus, if this is not James, the brother of Jesus, right? We don't want to make some incorrect application about that. So we've proven that. We've considered how Jesus's influence on James influenced James's writing and James's book. But now I want us to kind of dive into James's example or James's life a little bit. Uh, think about think about this. James grew up with Jesus and at least six younger siblings, and surely there were some strange times. Right? We have one picture. Right? We have one story of the youth of Jesus. Just one. Uh, of, of something that Jesus did, of something that happened to Jesus. And we see him at the age of 12 in the synagogue, and he is asking questions, even at the age of 12. He's asking questions, but I don't believe he's actually asking questions looking for answers. He's posing questions, and the Pharisees marvel at his questioning. You remember uh, Joseph and Mary, they went back towards Nazareth and they left Jesus. They forgot Jesus. Jesus wasn't there uh, where, he, uh, where they thought he was. Uh, we've all been there where we've left a child behind and thought, I thought you got the kid. No, I thought you got the kid. And you're all looking at me going, we all have? Well, some of us have, but uh, you know, most of us, I hope. We've been there, right? 
Uh, and Jesus gets left behind, and they find him in the synagogue there after a couple of days. Think about that. Jesus after a couple of days. Where, where did Jesus sleep at night? Who took care of Jesus? How I would think that it probably was the Pharisees and the priests there in the synagogue uh, that was there with Jesus for those three days. I imagine they got to know Jesus very, very well. And it was probably some of these same Pharisees and priests that... 17, 18 years down the road, begin to hear some of his teaching and are appalled. What happened to this young man? Uh, he had such good questions. He seemed to be on such a great road. He had so much promise. But you can imagine James growing up the younger brother of Jesus. We all know about the middle child syndrome, right? We all know, we all understand that middle child syndrome uh, where the older, you know, the oldest child... Look, my kids are looking at me. Corey's like, yeah, I'm the middle child. You're not the middle child. That doesn't count. Right? Never can quite measure up to the older brother. Right? The older brother is physically stronger and bigger and faster. The older brother is smarter uh, and, and wiser and had more learning. and then, uh, But doesn't really get the babying of the younger. Right? This is James's spot. This is how James grew up, I would imagine. And while Jesus was absolutely loving and kind and perfect, we know that those that were around him were not. Right? Not necessarily would have been Jesus' fault that James would be held to such a high expectation as the second brother, the eldest brother saved for Jesus. With five, four, three younger brothers and younger sisters to boot. This is how... James grew up. I would imagine there had been some strange times where perfect little Jesus would have come off as annoying. Right? I don't say that with any, any blasphemous at all. None of us liked the perfect little kid in class, did we? Some of you are like, I was that perfect little kid in class. We didn't like you. The rest of us didn't like you at all. Yeah, Dad's looking at Eddie. That was Eddie. He was that perfect little kid in class. We know he was. Much less being the younger brother of the perfect little kid in class. The kid that never did wrong. The kid that never got in trouble. The kid that always seemed to have it all together and all figured out. Not that Jesus was perfect right? He, in his wisdom and discipline. He increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man and all that stuff. But I imagine... That was probably difficult a lot of times. And that may have been part of the reason that as they grew older, James doesn't believe in Jesus. Right? James doesn't believe in him. Consider, as they get older, consider the family turmoil. We would assume that Joseph dies. Joseph is not mentioned at all after uh, Jesus' 12th, uh, that story there when Jesus is 12. He's not mentioned at all after that. Uh, we would assume that Joseph is the father of these uh, other brothers and sisters. Uh, but at some point along the way, Joseph passes away. Now, Joseph has passed away, and Jesus, at the age of 30, the, the, the leader of the family, the eldest brother, especially in that culture, uh, he puts himself out on uh, journeying to minister, right? And goes traveling around the country. Uh, and dragging mom around with him. Uh, imagine uh, Jesus beginning to make outrageous claims about himself. Right? 
The first thing that Jesus did to begin his ministry was he stood in the synagogue and he read from the Old Testament about the Messiah and then he declared to them, today this writing has come to pass in your very ears and then sat down. And the whole church went, that was weird, let's just ignore it and hope it goes away and move on with service. But Jesus didn't stop. Jesus continued to make bold and outrageous claims, right? James is the younger brother. James is of that family. Joseph and Mary family that has the black eye of Jesus being born uh, before they were engaged together, right? Has that, uh, but now they're in the synagogue and now they're learning and now they're teaching and now, uh, you know, Joseph has passed away and so Jesus is leading the family and now Jesus stands up and starts making outrageous claims about himself that they don't believe. James is probably pretty upset with Jesus. Wouldn't you be? He's tearing up their little society. He's ripping apart their little community. He's ostracizing his entire family because we all know how that goes, don't we? Church leaders, in case you think I'm taking this too far, in John 9, 22, the church leaders called him demon-possessed. Called Jesus demon-possessed. This is James's older brother. And the leaders of the church, the authority, the rule, the spiritual rule of the day says, this man, he's got a demon in him. This is James's older brother. Not only that, but they declare that anybody who follows him be kicked out of the synagogue. We learned that in John 9, 22. You remember the one that Jesus healed? They brought him in to the court along with his parents and said, what happened to this man? And they, the parents responded, this, our son is of age. Ask him what happened. And the Bible notes they said that because they were afraid of the rulers of the church because if they spoke well of Jesus, they were going to get out of church too. And this is James's brother. This is James's family. I believe there's clear division in the family that hit home for Jesus and James. Let's turn, let's, let's go ahead and hit these. Mark 3, 30. Again, you can turn with me or make note. Oh, that belonged. Mark 3, 30. This is where they call and say that he has an unclean spirit. And in verse 31, then his brother, speaking of Jesus, and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in the circle of those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whosoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Clearly what is happening here, we know, as we've already read, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. And now Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, or around the synagogue, and they declared him to have an unclean spirit. They say, you've got to stay away from this guy. And now Mary herself, along with James, the eldest brother with sense, Right? Because Jesus has gone off the deep end. Now James has got to look after mom. And Judas. And Simon. And the sisters. 
they're banging on the door trying to pull Jesus out of there. They want to set him straight. They want to silence him. I think there's clear division in the family. Turn to John 19. Twenty-six, twenty-seven, all the way up to the cross. John nineteen twenty-six. Jesus there on the cross. To give you context, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, being John, the writer of John, the disciple. And he said to his mother, "Woman." Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You don't think there's division in this home where Jesus is being crucified, Mary is up there to watch it, no James, no Judas, no Simon, no sisters. How would you feel? If your older brother was being executed and your mom was up there watching him being executed, you're not even going to the execution. There's that kind of division in your home. Really paints a picture, doesn't it? That's why Jesus had to say to John, John, take care of this woman. Mary herself may have lost her own children to a large degree because of their unbelief and because of her belief. Right? Her having been witness to the angel that appeared to us, to, that appeared to them. Her having been witness to the angels uh, that, that directed them to go into Egypt and when to go back into Israel and into Nazareth. Her remembering those things. Her not maybe collecting it all from the very beginning, but apparently as a believer here, and James is looking at it going, come on. Especially now, he's being killed. Mom, he's not the Christ. He can't be. He's dead. To me, it, it gives new light on Luke 12, 53. Where Jesus says, Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus said, I come, I bring division." And I think when he spoke that, he felt that. Don't think for a minute that James, and I know I've, I've painted a picture here, but we're still brothers, right? That's still my brother. That's still my sister. No matter the squabbles and the fights that you may have with your brothers and sisters, they're still your brothers and your sisters. You know, James may have been Jesus' closest friend for the first 12, 18, 30 years of his life even. Until, right? And it drove a wedge into Jesus' family himself. Imagine then the meeting between James and the resurrected Jesus. Can you imagine that meeting? With all of that history, with all of that background, with all of that division and trouble and problems leading up to the death of Christ, 
where I would assume James is somewhere wishing that his mother wasn't up there having to watch that. And then three days later, there stands Jesus. Not to say, I told you so. Not to declare himself right and you wrong. Not to beat him over the head and say, how could you not have believed? Don't you remember? Didn't you see? Didn't you hear? Don't you know? Didn't mom and dad always tell you about the angels and the journey and the whole thing? No. Jesus appears to him and lovingly receives him. And James, in writing his book, doesn't introduce himself as the brother of Jesus, doesn't introduce himself as established apostle in Jerusalem, doesn't introduce himself as one with inside exposure to Jesus. He introduces himself as servant of Jesus. What a transformation. What an incredible transformation. Praise God for the salvation of James. Praise God for the healing of that family. Right? Through Mary and, and at least James and Judas. Who else we don't know. God is no less able to bring salvation and healing by salvation into our families. And it all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all hinges on the saving grace of the one who defeated sin and death for us. With arms wide open, he accepts even the one closest to him who rejected him for so long. So James's example is what? Back in James 1.1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to dive more into that next week, but I want you just to notice a couple of things. The bond servant was one who was bound to work without personal freedom. And he declares him the bond, he declares himself the bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He declares his brother, Jesus, not just to be his brother. He's the Lord. He's the Christ. He is Jesus. And in recognition of who his brother is, he declares himself to be a servant. This is not just humility. This is not put on humility. This is a recognition of all of our relationships with Jesus. We're called to be his servants. We're called to be his bond servant, even. And what I want you to walk away with this morning, as the book of James includes some 60 commands, I want you to walk away this morning knowing that you cannot, will not, follow the command and therefore reap anything from the command if you don't start here with, I am a servant of Jesus Christ.
we come and we bow the knee before Jesus as our master. We don't come before him as a possible employee with a list of what we desire out of this job and what we desire out of this relationship and well, what am I going to be asked to do and what, is, what am I going to reap from it? We come as a servant. I, 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 my mind goes back to Mary before the angel when she said, be it unto me according to your word. Whatever you say for my life, that's my life. I accept that with gratitude. And she continues and says, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. There's two different things there. And you can't do the second one without the first one. We're not going to walk through the commands of James. And James says to do this, the very first one, count it joy when you fall into different trials. You can't do that unless you first bow the knee in acknowledgement that Jesus is your Lord and that you are his servant. Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed.